On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, question is, are our cell phones tracking us or are they being used to track us? Is that paranoid to ask? Well, maybe, but you know what they say, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't following you. We'll talk about that one. Also, the Grey Cup coming to Hamilton, the Olympics. Do you know what sports they're proposing putting putting into the Olympics? Someone, I might suggest, has been drinking. We'll discuss that one too. All coming up here on the podcast. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We heard that Google has actually put a microphone in its Nest devices and kind of forgot to mention it to people, which has made a few people freak out. Uh, Does it record people? Who knows? They say not, but who knows? Uh, Some time ago, we heard that devices like Alexa and Google Home and those kind of things are always on. And your conversations could be recorded without you realizing it. Are they recording us? Who knows? And of course, you've always got lots of people who are suspicious that your cell phone is gathering information about you without you thinking about it, your location, your interest, just go on to some site to try and buy a winter coat, let's say. And then the next site you go on to, there's an ad that pops up conveniently for winter coats and you go, Hmm, that was coincidental. Are they following you? I don't know. Is it all paranoia? Well, maybe. But remember the old line that says, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't following you. Well, there's a story in the Los Angeles Times this week that has made that come right to the forefront. The headline is, your phone and TV are tracking you and political campaigns are listening in. Basically, some places, some groups are using technology that locks in on the devices in a room or a building And then they can push ads. These people can push ads onto them or track you when you leave that place. It's a little terrifying. Uh, Michael Geist is a law professor at the University of Ottawa. He is the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law. He joins us now. Michael, thanks for doing this today. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me. When I read these stories, and this one in particular in the LA Times, am I the only one who might be naive enough to still be surprised at the scope of this? I don't think you are. I mean, I I think in some ways some of these large companies have been taking advantage of the fact that uh, many people didn't realize the extent to which data about ourselves is being collected and potentially used, uh, oftentimes with our consent, although I think I'd probably use air quotes for consent, because oftentimes people don't really know what they're consenting to. It's kind of buried. It's not always totally clear. And that kind of lack of full understanding of the scope of, of data collection and use is, in a sense, what has fueled some of this, but it's also what's fueling some of the backlash now as we learn more and more. Uh, There is a quote from this story that I just found fascinating. Here's the quote. We can put a pin on a building, and if you're in that building, we are going to get you, said Democratic strategist Dane Struther. Uh, And if they can get you, and they're going to get you even if you aren't in the building anymore, but are simply there at some point in the last six months. Michael, that, when you start talking about that, that if you go somewhere, they can now lock into your phone and then be able to follow you. That's amazingly Orwellian. It certainly brings to mind sort of a 1904-ish, 1984-type feelings, I think you're right. And it's true that that the level of of geolocation information, that that in a sense we're often giving off ourselves or our cell phones and and other kinds of devices, allows for some of these activities. I think the question in Canada 
is to what extent do some of the laws provide some safeguards, at least in terms of ensuring that there is some level of consent, some level of, of assurances that where things go wrong, there's a, an obligation to disclose that there, let's say, has been a security breach. And one of the real problems we faced, specifically on the kind of issue that you've highlighted where a political party might want to make use of that information, is that at least in Canada, the political parties seem to fall into a bit of a legal gray zone. They're not clearly commercial operations. They're also not government. And it's not at all clear that we've got a legal framework to deal with the issue. So, okay, so, I mean, and you you bring us into that gray area. Where is the legality of this? Whether it's a political party or whether it is a company that, that it's their building and they want to be able to advertise to you or whatever else, where is the legality as far as being able to tap into my phone, your phone, whoever's phone, and then start bombing you stuff? Well, I mean, let's let's be clear that I, I, I think that companies and, the, and certainly building operators and others would would sort of suggest that this isn't necessarily tapping into the phone. What locking on, locking taking, on to your phone? Well, they're taking advantage of the location information that we, in a sense, rely upon for the phones to work, right? We want our, our wireless provider to know where our phone is located so that it functions. Um, whether we want the provider to also then take that information and potentially sell it off is, of course, entirely another story. And then... Some of the apps and other kinds of things that we have within our phones may also be taking advantage of that same information and transmitting it back. And, you know, the, 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 there are disclosures associated with this. If you go in, let's say if you're an iPhone user and you go into location services on your iPhone, there's detailed information about which apps are collecting under which circumstances information regarding your location. A lot of people don't take the time to necessarily mm. uh, dig that deep into their preferences, into those files to better understand what's being used and then perhaps turn off some of those location tracking apps uh, if they're not comfortable with that activity taking place. So how in this country, because again, this story, that, especially the one from the LA Times that we're sort of launching the, the launching pad for this is talking about it's being used a lot in the States. How widespread is it up here? Well, I think we have a sense that, that many of the same kinds of activities are taking place here, leaving, again, to the side, the, the political side, because, again, we have a bit of this gray zone when it comes to political parties. But, you know, to what extent are some of the large players trying to access geolocation information about us and then provide geotargeted uh, marketing, let's say? You're walking by the, uh, the local Starbucks, and they want to provide you with suddenly either a ping or 50 cents off a latte. That kind of stuff clearly happening right now. There are certainly apps that we rely upon to know where our location is. If you're using Waze or Google Maps to drive home, you want it to know where you're located because, of course, it needs that information uh, for, the, for the system to actually function effectively. Uh, where we don't want it is if I'm offline, I'm not searching that, should that same app still know where I happen to be located, much less many of the other apps that we happen to have, some of which have really based a lot of their business model on this kind of information. Yeah, because some of this could just be merely annoying. If you're getting ads that you don't really want, that's one thing. It's it's who knows that information that starts to be concerning potentially. Yeah, I mean, th there's an annoyance factor. I'd actually even go further. I think there's a bit of a creep factor, you know, that, that idea that it feels creepy if you happen to be walking by a store and suddenly something <laughs> pops up. And we kind of know intuitively why that's happening. Uh, I guess 
for many, it begs the question, is this something they're comfortable with? Have they consented to it? And are they aware how it's actually gone about happening? And of course, we're talking about transactions and activities that are affecting literally hundreds of millions of people all in real time. So it's rather stunning to think of the scope of all of these sorts of activities. And there are dev- there are various games and other sorts of apps that have really been based largely on location and other preference type information and then using that data uh, to sell it to essentially sell advertising or other kinds of marketing opportunities. We're chatting with Michael Geist, who is the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law, based largely on this story in the LA Times. Your phone and TV are tracking you, and political campaigns are listening in. And Michael, just before the break, we were saying how, you know, whether this is a nuisance or creepy or whatever else, that companies may be able to do this. What about government? Can, is there anything that would prevent the government from setting something up and saying, we can now feed you political political or just government messages that, you know, that I think gets people even more creeped out if now their government is listening or following them. Right. I think it would. And so I think we probably need to distinguish between political parties and government. Yes. Political parties, of course, uh, represent all the various parties. They they aren't the government per se, and they are actively using these kinds of activities. In fact, that article you're referencing talks about the role that these kinds of technologies can play from a political perspective. Um, so I don't think there's much doubt that political parties are actively engaged in it. They, they have detailed databases about many, many people that they try to identify as potential supporters or non-supporters. And as we all know, when it comes to political elections, uh, there's a real get-out-the-vote initiative where there's a desire to try to ensure that your supporters are there and you want that kind of information. With respect to the government, there's a whole other statute that comes into play. So we've got private sector privacy rules that address the private sector. We've got a separate public sector privacy rules called the Privacy Act that deals with what government can do. And there's quite a lot of safeguards that are that are built into the process that, is, in a sense, attempt to silo information that government collects. So it's not necessarily easy for customs officials to share information with um with officials in other different in other departments, let's say in Health Canada or in uh, the Canada Revenue Agency, there may be some sharing in certain circumstances, but there are safeguards that are in place. Their use of private sector information, this kind of data that we're talking about, would be even more circumscribed. So they certainly are using social media to advertise, but the notion that they would be able to drill down to the individual and identify that individual is something that I don't think they'd be engaged in. I do think that a lot of people, uh, even if they hear this and they get a little weird about it, they understand we, when you're on your phone, how many times does something pop up that says, can we use your location? I think people get that somehow you are often being, I don't know if you want to use the word followed or tracked or whatever, but this story also points out that your TV is doing it too. And I think that's where people now start to say, wait a second, we've always been told that what I watch on TV, what channels I watch whatever else, that that's completely, there's no way to really know that. Is that true, or are they able to f- know stuff about you based on your TV selections? Well, I guess it depends a little bit on who the they is. Um, and so it is true that certainly the set-top boxes that we use collect large amounts of data as well. Um, and in fact, one of, the, one of the things that's been taking place before our regulator are questions about 
who gains access to some of that set-top box data. We even had some companies say that they think it should be a level playing field, that it shouldn't be just be your cable company that takes advantage of this, but some of that information ought to be shared with others. Uh, and so there is definitely a data grab going on here, that information sometimes being captured. And the, the hope for some of these companies is to be able to, to mix much of that data together. In fact, for example, in our own country, Bell, um, has talked about and indeed implemented what they call a relevant advertising program. And for use Bell subscribers, they say we can mix together what you do on your cell phone, what you do on the Internet, what you watch on TV. And in a time when people buy bundled packages where they're with the same provider for all of these things, Bell says we can use all of that information to get you more relevant advertising. But recognize what they're doing is capturing large amounts of data, including potentially um, some of your viewing habits, and then trying to create a profile that fits you best and then, in a sense, try to monetize that with advertisers. Are they permitted to sell that data to others? Well, the, the, interestingly, with that particular case, they wanted to go ahead and launch it, and they, they, in fact, did launch it, and they said it would be an opt-out system. So it would be up to users to say, we don't want you doing this. Uh, there were larger numbers of complaints that were filed with the Privacy Commissioner of Canada about that. The Privacy Commissioner ruled that that was a violation of Canada's privacy law. That, and in fact, interestingly enough, Bell's initial response was, so what? Um, take, take us to court. We're not going to abide by your finding. Uh, they quickly backtracked and ultimately said, stop the program for a time. They've now brought it back with opt-in consent. So they only only will do the relevant advertising for a particular subscriber if the subscriber proactively opts in, says this is something that I want. It is, uh, it is an interesting area that I think most of us, uh, yourself excluded, most of us listening um, have really very little idea about all the different ways that we are being invested, not investigated, followed, checked out, learning our habits, all those kind of things that, um, as I say, a little Orwellian, I think somewhere along the way, uh, Michael Geist, law professor at the university of Ottawa, Canada research chair in internet and e-commerce law. Sincerely appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I don't know about you. I, I, I get a little skittish about it. I get a little skittish. I, I feel like I should go to my phone and set all those settings to off. So I'm off the grid, but then Maps don't work and this doesn't work and that doesn't work. They've made it so you kind of have to have those things on, even though you could have it off. And then, you know, uh, see, I'm not the most trusting person. I'm a little skeptical of this whole thing. Maybe more than a little bit. And when I hear this, your phone and TV are tracking you and political campaigns are listening in. Yes, it's America. Yes, it's south of the border. I know the situation is different. I still get a little squeamish about some of the stuff that may be able to be tapped into. And if they can find your location and they can find some of your levels of interest or things you're interested in, can they not maybe somebody figure out how to get into deeper areas of your phone and find other, uh, mm, I don't know. We're going to take a break. Back after this, stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. How are you, sir? Oh, geez, Scott. I mean, it rattled again. You know, it's 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 unbelievable. One of those days. Um, hey, the, we're well. It's a you know what? Twenty twenty one Grey Cup. Assuming we're both still alive, uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's not all that far off. It's and first time in a generation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it it kind of worked out the way I thought. I mean, quite honestly, um, 
I think, you know, and this is no disrespect to our fine area, but I think that the pieces are in place for this to happen in 2020 more so without error, without fail, without worry in Regina, more so than in Hamilton right now. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Ha- I agree. They have, uh, for anyone that's been there, and, and again, I say this respectfully, they have the the nicer stadium. They have that sort of Chicago, I'll compare them to Chicago Cubs. Everyone feels good about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um, it's in the middle of the country. Uh, they've had did big events recently again. You know, most recently the great, the, uh, the not only just the Great Cup, but the Memorial Cup as well. Um, they've done this before, more so than Hamilton. There are some question marks with Hamilton, uh, you know, even as far as where will the extra seating go. And I know there are engineers probably smarter than I that have this all figured out, but it's not necessarily ha- doesn't necessarily have to be done at. Uh, at at, uh, at their field in Regina, and it's not a huge surprise to me. I'm glad that we have the game in 2021. I think it's probably a benefit and gives this time, this city, time to get everything in order to present a world class uh, sort of you know championship game, and not even just a championship game, but a championship festival. My one, I mean, they got a lot of questions about this because there's a lot of things that we don't know yet. But one of the things right at the top of my list is. Where are tickets going to come for this? Because it is going to be a much smaller stadium. Regardless of how many seats they add, it's still going to be a lot smaller than Saskatchewan. It's going to be a lot smaller than Edmonton. Where's the ticket price point that people are going to be okay buying, or do people start to complain that these tickets are too expensive? And that's going to be a tricky thing, balance beam, for the Ticats to walk to make sure that people know, yeah, it's going to cost you money, but I'm okay with that. But there's a point when it could be too much, and that's going to be a tricky thing to walk along. Well, I think the, the on the positive of that, remember that the large a large percentage, and, and I'm not saying it could be as much as fifty percent of the tickets won't be available for people in this area. They will be vi- available for people all over the country, as teams are allotted a certain amount of you know uh, of tickets. And people from outside the country will be buying tickets. So there will be a demand, not just for our Hamilton area, but for you know the entire country. And with a smaller stadium, there could be a bigger demand. But with that, as you said, and you're correct in saying that, that with a smaller stadium, even if they were to increase it to, I think the capacity at, at Iverwind, at, sorry, at uh, Tim Hortons Field is, is, is probably just, at least when we're there for games, for Tiger Cat games, I've heard announcements of 23,000 and change being called a sold-out a sold out stadium. So it, with that in play, and, and the way I'm just sort of imagining it, Maybe if you add eight to nine thousand seats, maybe no, there's a no plan chance. For more. No chance. No chance. They could put in nine thousand more seats there. I, I don't think. I, I not with the way it's set up. I think if you may be pushing five thousand, I think. I would think that you would be able to, and we did see this for the Vanier Cup. You will be able to add some additional bleachers in the. I guess that would be the north end zone, which would be the side with the with the with the scoreboard. Perhaps you can go a little higher than they did for the Vanier. I don't know how you do it, but perhaps there is a way to clear out that sort of entertainment, um, you know, sort of partying area where they sell beers and sell, you know, sausages and hot dogs in the south end of the stadium, that you would be able to clear that out and put in additional seating 
that would maybe go up much higher than what we would see. You know, obviously not as high as the either the, the either side of the stadium, but something similar to what Ivor Wynn had back in '96. Um, but yeah, and I'm just being generous, Scott, by saying the, the eight nine thousand. But tickets are going to be expensive. Tickets, I mean, yeah, this, they this are. Is, this is this is this is this is the championship game, which obviously is a premium event, and. You can't charge Tiger Cat prices for the Grey Cup. At least I don't think you can. This is a league-wide premium event, and as I said, um, hopefully it doesn't get into a situation like the last Grey Cup in 96, and certainly the one, what, two years ago at BMO Field in Toronto where basically tickets were being given away for free because that's not good business. That would be a disaster. And I don't think that would happen. I really don't. I think that when these tickets go on sale, and I don't know when they'll go on sale. I don't know if they announce it today. We'll find out soon. I would expect that they would be gone very, very, very quickly. Just because it's been so long and because there are so few, the only question then is going to be, are Ticat fans going to be feeling snubbed because all the rich people got them? But can you sell them already? I mean, it can't be already. I mean, it's got to be probably the year of. There's so much yet to be determined. No, that's what I mean. I mean as soon the, as they go on sale, they will go oh, quickly. Sorry, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, I, I don't know. I don't expect them to go in the next very, very short point. But no, when they go on sale, I expect they will go quickly. And the question, my point is going to be, is it going to be something fans can get? Or is it going to be like leaf tickets where it's just the people who are the business people or the business market. And that, that's going to be a tricky one because, I mean, the, the Thai Cats are the fans team. I don't think you want to go down that road where you are making this a corporate thing entirely. But 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 I think you – I don't think – I mean, again, with all due respect, I don't, I don't know if that can be avoided, Scott. This is a corporate event. The Great Cup, it will become a corporate event. If we know anything about the Tiger Cats um, – over the years of the Bob Young ownership, you could quibble or quabble about the winning about the winning on the football field, but these guys have, are are very good at business, and and have proven so, and have and have put together a great product in terms of the Tiger Cats and uh, you know something that's sustainable for this area. But they've done so by good business decisions and good business measures, and no one works for free, and. Uh, and in cooperation with the CFL, this, like I said, this is a corporate event, in my opinion. And uh, other, for, other than those who want to spend a certain amount of money, which will probably, again, more than your average Tiger Cat ticket, uh, you better be prepared to start saving your money right now. Well, I don't know if I'm going to quibble, but I might quabble. Uh, let, yeah. let us let us quabble over to another topic for a second because I did want to ask you about this. I saw this story today, and I tell you, I initially thought this was from The Onion or from some other joke publication because I thought there is no chance this is true. There is no chance this is true. And then I looked at where it was from, and some people will say, well, no, it still isn't true based on this. But it is apparently legit. Organizers of Paris 2024, the Olympics in Paris in 2024, have proposed, Bubba, four new sports for inclusion into the games, namely surfing, climbing, skateboarding, and breakdancing. Now, I thought, I looked because I thought 2024, okay, 1984 perhaps. Who breakdances anymore? When did, like, uh, uh, are the guys, and I'm assuming it's mostly guys because it usually is, are the guys who are running the Olympics now, s- did they somehow get stuck in a 
time machine that's been playing Beat Street on a loop, and they think that it's still... Uh, who break dances? I can imagine. I can imagine maybe, like, if you want to call it original dance or something like that, like, uh, but where does that come from? And hold on, you said these games will be held in Paris? Yep. Organizers of Paris surf? 2024. Where do you surf in, 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 in France? Well... Uh, they, they, it'll be in their off, it'll be in their offsite location in Hawaii. <laughs> I don't know. It, yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't know. Where, where's the? Uh, oh, where do they have that uh, that movie? The the um, the movie festival every year. Like in Cannes, well, they have a beach there in Cannes. So I, I, I don't know. Like this, this, you know, it's getting ridiculous. And I've said this to you before. Uh, the Olympics to me, I. Oh, boy, it's hard for me to say this because I respect so many Canadian athletes that have dreams and hopes, and maybe I'm being an old-timer here, but the games have lost its luster to me. And, you know, I'm, you know if you're talking about breakdancing and surfing, I'm all for having these events and the X Games and that kind of thing because, to me, the Olympics are the old-school games, and I know you have to, there has to be growth. I respect that. Every sport must uh, change and evolve. But some of the sports that are in it already, some of the test sports that have been out there already, I'm not, I'm not interested. I don't care who wins. Uh, even if we win, you know, it's great. Ha-hoo, wahoo, yay-hey, you know. Well, it seems like a I rather want... desperate search or attempt at relevance with younger people. And, and that's fine. And like I said, you have to evolve. And you, I mean, hey, we learned this in the CFL. You cannot forget your younger fans. But there's also a historical element of the Olympic Games. And there's something, you know, why is still to this date, what, 100 years later, the biggest event of them all is the 100-meter dash? Yep. Pretty simple, Scott. Run 100, run 100 meters, right? Like, you know, uh, boxing, uh, the javelin throw. You know the four by one hundred, the ten thousand meter. Run. These are the. That's when I think Olympics, gymnastics, swimming, pretty simple stuff. Well, I'm and all four it. of these, all four of these. Okay, a couple things. First of all, all four of these are judged events, which means because we know with every judged event that comes into the Olympics, it always leads to an early scandal because somehow the judging is rigged in order for someone, usually the Russians, to win. So that this will be a catastrophe. First of all, but the second part is. This may be really good for Canada because every time they introduce a, a new sport that may be on the fringes a little bit, synchronized swimming. We used to kill with Carol and Waldo and whatever the other partner's name was. And then snowboarding, we were great at bringing a new sport, trampoline. All these things we're good at till the rest of the world decides to start paying attention to them. So maybe this is more medals for us. But here's the other part about this. Bubba, we have tried for years now, they have tried, pardon me, they have tried for years to say we need more events for the Winter Olympics. And so we've brought in like Snowcross and all these things. But the Summer Olympics are already bloated like a dead cow carcass that's been out in the sun for a whole summer. I mean, this is an event. The Olympics are enormous. We don't need to add more events to to this thing. Why do they need to add more to the Winter Olympics? Well, because they've... they, they, the argument has been that we there is room in the Winter Olympics to add some more, whether they need to or not. That there's room. I don't see that there being room in the Summer Olympics. Why do we have to tinker? You know, I, I've said this before about rules, and what are we going to tinker for? It's been going on for hundreds of years. You know, like 
just leave it alone. Let the excitement be the athletes. If you're going to tinker, let's bring back some of the events that you've canceled over the years. Let's go historical, like the underwater swimming. Who can swim underwater for the furthest? That was a good one. Or tug-of-war. Truly, tug-of-war used to be an Olympic sport. Or, or why don't you just keep it basic, Scott? Just who can hold their breath longer underwater? That's what it was. That's what it was. Who can go the furthest? <laughs> yep. Or, or my personal favorite, which was the live pigeon shooting. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That was an actual Olympic event. They would release pigeons and just... <laughs> whoever can blow the most foul out of the air. And so, PETA did not love that event, I'm thinking probably would not be a strong supporter of live pigeon shooting again nonetheless uh, no, no I, I guess this is when i you know and this is this is when i start to believe that i maybe i'm getting old and grumpy because this stuff just bothers me I, I think it's ridiculous i just don't see even even if you're if the goal here is to attract younger viewers okay you know what i can see uh climbing because climbing is very popular but there's also definitely an athletic part of it and not an athletic, a sports part of it, because you can say, okay, who can get to the top first? There's something that is a, an objective measure there. I'm not sure that, I mean, what, what is the form of skateboarding? Is it going to be skateboard racing or just who does the coolest tricks? I don't know that we need more cool trick stuff. I don't know that we want to turn, I don't know that we want to turn the Olympics into the X games, although maybe we do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, like I said, they have the X Games, and they're outstanding. Some of the events are incredible. And maybe if the X Games one day gets bigger than the Olympics, so be it. But just stop tinkering. Does this say something, though, about where the Olympics are? See, I, th- I, th- I look at this and it's I say... Desperate. Th- yeah, desperate. That, that's what I see. I see this somehow as being a sign that the Olympics are thinking that they are in a really bad spot. I do. I, re- I really think but, that this but is... are they? Well, they are in one sense. They are in one sense. They are in the sense that because they've made these things so big and so expensive that there are very, very few cities that are now willing to get on board and and host. And because after Sochi, which was 50 billion and after Beijing, which was 40 billion or something, I mean, who, what not, what non-dictatorship says, yeah, we're going to throw in $50 billion into a two weeks of a sporting festival. I love the Olympics, but I don't want to put fifty billion or forty billion or thirty billion into it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 at a loss for words. Rio, Rio was the same thing. Rio, an an impoverished country that was in desperate straits, has a World Cup and an Olympics a year or two years apart, and basically completely bankrupts the country. And now they've got stadia that are sitting there completely abandoned in the jungle. Who and and don't even worry about Rio. Greece is even worse. Greece. Absolutely. And, and so you look at this, you go, yeah, if I'm the Olympics, I'm worried. I'm worried that there's coming a point when you're not going to be able to find a city that will host. So what do we do? Well, I guess maybe if we can find the younger viewers who will drum up the TV ratings, it looks like it's a bigger deal, I guess, because I don't see any but, other but, reason. But, but, here, but here's the rub, Scott. Kids don't watch TV. Well, they might, maybe, maybe that's part of this then, that, that surfing and skateboarding and breakdancing is short enough clips for YouTube or for GIFs or for Instagram that you can say, here, you don't have to watch the whole thing. Just grab this thing and we'll put a little commercial, a little ad at the beginning and we're all good. And again, if that's what you're going to do for the major sports, I think you're keeping up with the times and being relevant. But again, the need to add these fringe sports, what I'll call them, 
you know, hey, I'm even is why is golf in the Olympics? Well, I, look, there's a lot of them already. There's a lot of them. It's like, and I love golf. If golf can be an Olympic sport, for five hours any day to watch a round of golf. I'm good. If golf can be an Olympic sport and skateboarding and breakdancing can be an Olympic sport, you know what else can be an Olympic sport? Sports casting. Let, give me a shot. Let me try it for Team Canada. Let me try out. I would. I think sports. We got to do it like in the Amazing Race Canada when they had sports casting as one of the one of the things. They give you the hardest names to have to read, and you just have to blow through it. And whoever does it the best and the fastest wins. I, sports casting could be an event. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, I, I have plans on blowing out Zamperin. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you can pronounce Valentunis. <laughs> I I spelled. You did. You did. You even spelled it. You you already would be the gold medal favorite just on the fact that you could pronounce and spell Atentacupo because I can't even say it. I have to be the favorite. I would say you absolutely are. Uh, I will I'll be your corner guy. I'll be your spelling advisor. And even then I can't spell it as well as you can. Uh, that is Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. You can catch him tonight at eleven o'clock. Lots more about Hamilton getting the twenty twenty one Grey Cup. Appreciate it, sir. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It is time for a little something we like to call Will's Story of the Week, Will's Story of the Day, whatever you want to call it. Here's how we do it. I'm going to give him three unique, possibly unusual stories from around the world based on whatever criteria he so chooses, because he makes up all the rules. He decides which one is his story of the day. Story number one, now this is about a week or so old, but it was only reported on in the last couple days, so hence we're doing it now. It's from Valentine's, actually. Uh, It comes from Kentucky. Very confused elderly man. Uh, He sounds like, I mean, um, Alan Alan Harris of Hartford, Kentucky, sounds like he's a good guy. Sounds like he loves his wife, Nina. Sounds like he wants to do the right thing. And so on Valentine's Day... He asked her what she wanted for Valentine's Day, and she said she wanted a bowl of tulips. Bucket of tulips, a bowl of tulips, a jar of tulips, whatever it is. She wanted tulips. Okay. Well, like so many other husbands, Alan wasn't paying very close attention while she was talking. He was watching TV or on his cell phone or whatever else. Didn't quite click with him what she had said, but they live on a farm And on Valentine's morning, he brought her to her bedside, her fresh, hot cup of coffee and her bucket of turnips. (laughs) He wasn't paying attention, she recalled. He said, yeah, I know. When she said, I said tulips. Well, he heard turnips and he, you know, you don't ask questions when you've been married as long as the Harrises have. The woman wants turnips. She's going to get turnips. (laughs) He was very prompt with that. That's delightful. I went out and got the bucket and put the turnips in the bucket that says I love you on it. And I went in there, got her coffee, and here you go. That's adorable. I love that. That's a nice one. Um, Now, he did follow up, by the way, by correcting it by eventually getting her tulips. But Nina, to her credit, because this is how you have a long, happy marriage, said her husband is lucky that she does, in fact, enjoy a good root vegetable. So all's well that ends well. She got her flowers and her root vegetables. What more could you want for Valentine's Day, really? (laughs) Story number two. 
Uh, where is this from? From Australia. So a, a, a bride-to-be had sent out all of her wedding invitations and then I guess had some sort of epiphany. Uh, she's a vegan and she had an epiphany that, you know what? Eating meat of any kind or any thing that comes from meat is murder. I can't support murderers. I won't have them at my wedding. So she sent a supplementary invitation out saying, by the way, if you are not vegan or vegetarian, I rescind my wedding invitation. Do not come. Wow. All omnivores were banned from her wedding, including her mother, her two cousins who were slated to be bridesmaids and a bunch of others because they would not announce their willingness to become a vegan so they were not allowed to be at her wedding. Now, I feel like maybe there was an ulterior motive with this. Save some money on meat? (laughs) Cheapen up the wedding? We're just going to have asparagus and rice. Maybe avoid some family members on the same time? Uh, There could be that too, but I, I... This is not the first story we've read like this kind of thing in recent years where something at a wedding where a, a bride or a groom have suddenly decided that they are going to be a bit of a whatever. Prima, prima donna? Would that be the appropriate Block term? people from coming for whatever reason because they didn't wear the right outfit or they weren't the right size or whatever. Yeah, this the, seems to be a new thing. The person who demanded you wear camo if you're a certain weight, yeah. Yeah, if you weigh over 300 pounds and you're a woman, you got to come dressed in camouflage or whatever. It's like, come on. But this seems to be a thing now. Like once upon a time when you were getting married, you would say, please come, happy to have you. And that was the end of it. We loved you. Who who says if you don't become a vegan, you can't attend my wedding? Anyway, her, that's the answer. Number three, which follows nicely on the heels of that one. Story number three comes from New York City. Uh, police are searching for a woman in the Bronx who went to the back home restaurant at 4.20 p.m. last month on the day last month. Uh, did I mention she was pregnant? Oh, she's a pregnant woman. Guess she was having a hankering. Guess she was having one of those pregnancy cravings. They were out of the particular type of beef patty that she really liked. And that did not go over well with this pregnant woman who somehow went to her car, pulled out a baseball bat and began smashing in the store's windows. Cause you didn't have the beef patties that I'm craving. No. Yes, indeed. Surveillance video caught her expressing her anger about her cravings not being fulfilled. Now they are just trying to look $2,000 worth of damage, by the way, because they didn't have the meat patties that she likes so much in her pregnant state, I guess. Yeah. So for your story of the day, Will, will it be the angry pregnant woman with the hankering that could not be fulfilled? (laughs) Would it be the vegan bride who told all of her guests who were also not vegan, stay home because you're a murderer? (laughs) Or is it the husband who misheard and gave his wife turnips instead of tulips for Valentine's Day? Uh, The bucket of turnips. That's the nicest one of these you have ever given me, Scott. I have to pick it. I should have thought ahead of time about other turns of phrase or words that sound similar, what he could have done by accident. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.